Hey, everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, who is the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire over on USA Today, James Johnson. And Jay, how are you doing here this evening? Good to be with you in uh, what's been a pretty hectic week for the NFL and really just sports in general. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be back. And yes, you are right. It's been a hectic week for the NFL and sports in general. Um, The NFL trying to get everything together, although they had since, uh, as you said, they've had the biggest runway to get everything in place. Finally got all of the, you know, the stuff behind the scenes together, the uh, economics behind it, so on and so forth, uh, the training camp schedule and all of that. Got it done in time. Everybody reported to camp. So that's good. I can't wait for the season and hopefully it goes as fluidly as possible with uh, as least COVID victims as possible as well. Uh, But yeah, glad to be back, man, as we got another action packed episode. Appreciate all of the views and whatnot. Me and you were talking about the stats just before this and all. So appreciate that. And uh, yeah, can't wait to talk some more football. Yeah, that's right, guys. And I know last week we did tease that there would be a guest on, and I I guess I kind of misworded that when I did put it on Twitter. So we're going to have that guest on here at the end of this week for next week's episode, and we will reveal who that guest is at the very end. So make sure you listen till the very end of this episode, and we will reveal who our very exciting guest is that we will have on the podcast next week. That being said, we're going to get into our primary topics here this week. We're going to do a quick trip around the league and talk about everything that's been going on as far as players opting out, and then also talk about this NFL Top 100 list, because Jay, you and I have a lot of things to say when it comes to that. But before we do that, guys, just want to make sure if you're enjoying the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe and rate the show. That's actually one of the best ways you can support us. We're also available over on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Of course, you can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast as part of their awesome Believe Library. As far as social media goes, you can find myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Dawn, and you can tweet the podcast at Believe in Jags Pod. So let's get into the first one. We're going to do a quick trip around the league. And one of the biggest things has been these players that have now started to take advantage of that opt-out clause that was discussed by the NFL. Now, it all started when the Kansas City Chiefs starting right guard Laurent Duvernay-Tardif declared that he was going to opt out for the 2020 season. This was very interesting to me, Jay, because Duvernay-Tardif does have a medical doctorate, and he has cited his offseason experience with helping to combat COVID-19 as one of the primary reasons as to why he came to this decision. And when I found out about his background and knowing that, you know, who knows probably more than about the ins and outs of this disease than someone who's been right there seeing the effects on it. So whenever you heard that, you know, this player was the first guy to uh, to opt out, Jay, what did you think? Did you did you see this coming as far as the other names that I'll list off here in just a moment? What was your first reaction when someone did take advantage of this opt out clause? Well, I actually didn't know uh, that uh, he had a background in the medical field, which I mean, that that's kind of alarming in itself. Uh, but uh, you know, it was more of a wait and see type of thing for me. I wasn't sure who would and who wouldn't. But I, I did think that it would be a matter of time before we saw a major name pop up on a list, which, again, we'll talk about. Uh, so that being said, like, I just kind of took the wait and see approach with this whole thing. Um, I don't think it's going to be a lot of major names, so to speak. And uh, it's going to be interesting, no doubt, though, to see who else, you know, pops up on a list. We got guys that 
have popped up, me and you talked about within the division. Um, and, and a lot of these guys are, you know, backups or, or what have you, or maybe even guys that wouldn't make the roster. But make no mistake about it, you know, in some way, shape or form, you know, because I think they have a seven day window, which might be or six or five day window to make these decisions. Uh, more names are going to pop up, no doubt. And there'll probably be some more major names, albeit not a lot of them. But I think we'll see some more major names down the road. And as that window begins to close for them to make that decision, um, I think we'll, you know, know more to be able to kind of evaluate how it'll mold the season. Um, albeit, I don't think this is going to mold the season too uh, or, or taken in a direction that's too far from what we were projecting, but time will tell. Yeah, Jay, he said in a statement, uh, being at the front line during this offseason has given me a different perspective on this pandemic and the stress it puts on individuals and our healthcare system. I cannot allow myself to potentially transmit the virus in our communities simply to play the sport that I love. If I am to take risks, I will do it caring for patients. Now, part of this opt-out option does give players that are high risk uh, $350,000 of their allotted salary. So any player that feels uh, that has a approved illness that does put them at a higher risk of COVID-19, they will get $350,000. Players that voluntarily opt out will receive $150,000 in their salary, as well as I believe, Jay, they will get credit for the league year, which comes into play when it comes to free agency. And we'll see how that happens. And we'll see what happens with that, you know, come next year. But as mentioned, I do want to list off some of the names that you guys may recognize that have opted out. Uh, the Bears defensive tackle, Eddie Goldman, Bills defensive lineman, Star Latulier, the Chiefs, uh, along with, of course, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, Damian Williams, the running back who was the star of the Super Bowl, he has now opted out, which I think makes things very, very interesting for the Chiefs, as well as their new running back, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Marquise Goodwin of the Philadelphia Eagles, Nate Solder of the New York Giants, who announced today, um, we're recording here on Wednesday, the Packers wide receiver, Devin Funchess. The Patriots are the team that have been hit the most with Patrick Chung, Dante Hightower, Brandon Bolden, as well as a couple of other players. Jay, you talked about, you know, as far as marquee names, Dante Hightower might be the biggest name thus far. A couple of players from the Ravens, DeAnthony Thomas, as well as offensive lineman Andre Smith. In division, we have for the Houston Texans defensive lineman Eddie Vanderdust. And for the Tennessee Titans, offensive tackle Anthony McKenney. So again, Jay, this list, you know, starting to grow. And Damian Williams was one of the bigger names as far as today, which I think speaks volumes because, of course, I think the Chiefs enter this season, you know, favorites to win another Super Bowl. And when you talk to any player in the league, of course, that's what they all covet. They want to win a championship. So what do you think about some of these names? Of course, specifically talking about Damian Williams, but even some of these players from like the Baltimore Ravens, who of course are going to be in Super Bowl contention, a couple of Saints players as well. The Patriots, as I mentioned, have been hit the hardest as far as people taking advantage of this opt-out option. So what do you think about some of these names that I just listed off? Yeah, man, like like you said, like the Dante Hightower one was that was kind of shocking in itself. And then I thought about it though. You know, the Patriots are going through this phase where Albeit they do have Cam Newton. They don't have Tom Brady, who is probably the ultimate motivator, if you will, there. And, you know, it's so much, I guess, like, they might feel like it's so much uncertainty. And this is just me speaking with the Patriots to where they don't have those championship expectations this year, or some of them might not, at least. And, you know, they might feel like this is the year to take off with, you know, such a transition going on, a huge transition in the case of the Patriots uh, organization with Tom Brady now going to basically, you know, this is the, well, I guess I say this is the year for them 
to sit out or what have you. So I thought that was kind of interesting to see like the alarming number of Patriots that were on there. Like you said, Patrick Chung, if I can recall, does Chung start too? I, I believe he does. I'm pretty sure he is a starter still. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like these aren't small names, you know, Brandon Bolden. I know he's not the starter at running back, but, you know, he has contributed. If I can recall, Marcus Cannon may start the offensive tackle. So, uh, yeah, it looks like they're going to be the hardest hit. But you, I mean, like you can't really blame the players for, you know, the ones that are taking this opportunity to have the year off. I know it was uh, Marquise Goodwin from the uh, I think it's the Eagles, the wide receiver from the Eagles. You know, he was explaining that he wanted to be there for their, his family. Um, He had his baby in the video when he made the announcement, you know, just saying, like, yeah, I want to be able to look out for my little one and so on and so forth. So, you know, when it comes from a perspective of, you know, caring for your family and, and me, you can kind of speak for this, albeit we don't play in the NFL. But, you know, when it comes to taking those necessary steps to protect yourself or somebody who's at risk in terms of their health with this coronavirus, you know, nine times out of 10, you're going to do what you got to do to protect that person. And, you know, some of these people are saying, you know, that the money isn't enough and you can't blame them. You know, like I said, with all the health risk involved and, and so on and so forth. And they're just going to look forward to just coming back next year uh, when the numbers are looking better, because it need I remind you, too. Uh, a lot of this is going to involve traveling in the NFL. You know, a lot of people might feel some type of way uh, when seeing how uh, and I think we'll kind of talk about this later. What's going on with the Florida Marlins and some people might feel a, some type of way about uh, traveling to these states that are hot spots like Florida. Um, you know, like Georgia, albeit not on the level of Florida, like Texas and, and so on and so forth. You know, so that's something to consider as well. But again, like I said, you know, for the players that are taking off, good for them. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we still get some quality football uh, despite those decisions. Right, Jane. And you alluded to it right there. Uh, you know, we talked about in the very beginning of the show and the tease were just as a really hectic week for sports in general. The NCAA is just kind of scrambling, trying to figure out if they're going to have a football season. Uh, you know, the ACC came out with their schedule today. And a, a lot of these conferences, of course, actually pretty much all the conferences are going with an in-conference schedule. Michigan State, I talked about this on my other show, which is the Wait For It podcast, Michigan State. That whole football program is currently on a 14-day quarantine. And, you know, things are just insane right now and it's not going away and you talked about what's going on with the Miami Marlins right now currently as of today the time of recording which is July 29th it is now up to 16 players and staff that have tested positive for coronavirus in that one locker room that is over half of their roster and they are now scrambling trying to find any players that are available to pitch for them and play right away so, Jay, we were talking about this before we started. What happens when there's an outbreak within one of these locker rooms? Because, of course, a football locker room, the size and the amount of people is much, much larger than what is in an MLB clubhouse. What happens when all of a sudden the Miami Dolphins get struck with an outbreak and most of their players go down? You know, if, if something like that happens, what do they do? Right. It's, that's interesting. And I think like, while the NFL did, you know, have discussions up until uh, this week or last week trying to get everything together in terms of like a COVID protocol fully. One thing that could help the NFL, again, is that they have had the biggest runway to look at this thing. And also, you know, they are coming into this thing with bigger rosters, so to speak. 
And, you know, I think it's going to be 16 players that are eligible or you that you could put on a practice squad. So those will probably be I don't know how they'll go about it, but, you know, maybe they keep those guys away from the field. Like me, and you have kind of spoke an off site team, if you will. But, you know, 16 is a, a huge bump up from where it previously was. I think it was uh, 10 or 12 before that. But. You know, that that is one thing that I've noticed, like the, the roster size is getting closer to that number in terms of if you add the practice squad people closer to that 70 range, if I can recall. So I'm thinking it's what, 53 on a roster and then, yeah, about 16. So, yeah, it's getting closer to that 70 range if my math is right. So, you know, that could help uh, depending on what they do with the practice squad players and if they keep them offside and what have you if the NFL sees a situation like that you know you would think maybe some of those practice squad guys would definitely get the call and I don't know like how they're gonna do like are they gonna allow you to recycle practice squad guys they might be something I need to look into as well but I would say recycling in terms of where you could activate a guy for x amount of days and then when you know you get your players back that had COVID Uh, When you get them back from quarantine healthy, you can revert that guy back to the practice squad instead of, you know, waving them and so on and so forth and letting somebody else get them, basically. So maybe they might need to have like a plan where they can recycle players like that. I don't know if they have or that's something that they're, they're discussing, but that would be wise. But, you know, we'll see. If the NFL, uh, well, hopefully we don't have to see if the NFL is ready for something like this. But those are some of the necessary protocols they are taking in terms of, you know, uh, having a roster ready for a potential outbreak. Yeah, I guess what my so what the Marlins are doing is they're not playing again, I believe, until next Monday, which is why they're trying to find players that are eligible to uh, and ready to go. The thing with this is, you know, if you miss you know, there's we always talk about how there's so only so many games in a season for the NFL, which makes every game so important. When you are diagnosed and when you contract COVID, you have to quarantine for two weeks, right? That has been the consensus. So we're talking about missing two games for these guys. So what happened? My concern, I guess, is whenever you know these players, this entire team contracts this disease, if it does happen, do they then also have to quarantine the team that they just played? What happens to that team and what happens to those opponents? You know what I mean? It's a trickle down effect that I think that the NFL really, really has to think about because it's a lot different from baseball, where, as I mentioned, you know, it's a smaller locker room, it's a smaller clubhouse, and they also have already decided they're playing a shortened season. I think the MLB is only doing 80 out of a normal 162 games. With the NFL, it complicates things so much more, which is why it's just worrisome to me that if this does happen, and even people in baseball talked about it, this thing with the Marlins was inevitable. It was going to happen, and now we're going to see how it plays out. And I know it's actually going to be a lot more difficult to handle if and when it does happen in an NFL locker room. And that's just that's just where my concern comes from, um, looking at the season as a whole we don't really have a lot of wiggle room, you know, I, I, I guess is, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, yeah, the NFL has always, and one thing about it too, is the NFL has always, and I'm not saying that this will necessarily help them to better go about the case than the MLB, but the NFL has always been a next man up league anyway. And it's always been a league full of injuries anyway, a league full of adaptations from the beginning, you know, like coaches, every coach will teach you that or every coach will say it in the, a, a meeting. When a key player goes down or, you know, some some depth players go down is, you know, we got to have that next man up mentality. You know, it's just a matter of if the next man up, you know, is 
has been uh, away from the team or has contracted the virus? Has he been at the facility uh, with the, the uh, players that did contract it and so on and so forth? Uh, so, you know, there's that, you know, so uh, maybe the NFL from that perspective may be a little bit more ready for it. And like you said, though, like they deal with so many more players as opposed to baseball. So, It'll, you know, it's kind of it'll be hard to control, if you will. But um, as it stands, they are, uh, you know, the things they're doing at the facility, they have players, I believe, are wearing bands. Of course, you got to wear masks to get in the facility, too, as well. But um, one thing they are doing is the players wear bands and when they get within a certain distance of each other. And this might be the case for the MLB and the other leagues, too. But uh, it kind of sounds off, if you will. And it also tracks your data throughout the facility. So if a outbreak does happen in the NFL, at least I can't speak for the other leagues, but if an outbreak does happen, they have these readers on each player's arm that would allow them to track exactly where it came from and basically investigate the situation and get down to the meat and potatoes of it very quickly. But it's just a matter of, of course, you know, you got to when the test comes back as positive for whatever player. Uh, it's a matter of getting in there quickly and doing something about it to neutralize or, or basically stop it from becoming worse than it is and uh, plague in the whole locker room, if you will. So I know that's one of the things that they've uh, looked into. Uh, I guess, you know, like you said, we would hope we don't have to see anything like this. But when it does happen, make no mistake about it. You know, that's going to be a key that people are watching within the NFL is, you know, how does this technology work to help track it and find out the source of it and how does this technology help to uh, get the team back on track in terms of you know getting players back and, and so on and so forth yeah it's certainly going to be interesting to keep track of uh, jay i know you actually had a list of a couple players that have been added to uh, uh to our list as far as uh I don't, i'm not sure if it's like a covid 19 they haven't tested positive correct but they are they are they higher risk or what's going on with that list yeah, yeah. So the Jags on uh, Monday, they actually got it rolling with their uh, new list, which is a reserve slash COVID list. And they also got an active non-football injury list, which is standard. They, they've always had that. The active non-football injury list had Connor Slomka. And not that this has anything to do with COVID, but basically, as we all know, you know, that's an injury or a player that's injured uh, with a non-football related type of injury. You know, you slip at home, fall down the stairs. Maybe you were in the car wreck and you got a crook in your neck or just aren't ready to go. So um, he was on that just for like not even 24 hours. And then uh, he came in the next day. They uh, put him on the active football list. By the way, the non-active, uh, the non-football injury list that has the slash active in front of it, that basically means that the player can't do physical activities with the team, but he does account for a roster spot for anybody who ever wondered about that. But on to the COVID list, which is the reserve slash COVID list specifically, Luck Barlow or Luck Barku was on the list. That's the cornerback. If everybody can recall, that's the cornerback that, uh, you know, it was a lot of buzz surrounded because he really should have been drafted. And the Jacksonville Jaguars gave him like a record amount of money for an undrafted player. I think it was like 150 thousand guaranteed or something like that uh but he's on the list devon hamilton our third round pick who me and phil have spoke on and i've spoke on highly josiah scott was on it and the fourth player was uh trevor wallace sims which is the guard from michigan uh so with scott now he came out to basically say that his first test was a false positive test and he's had tests since that have come back negative 
So it looks like he's trending in the right direction to be able to come back soon. Now, need I remind you, I think the first, what, five or so days, the Jaguars aren't really doing physical activities anyway from how it's been explained. Uh, they'll be just doing, you know, uh, virtual locker room stuff and, uh, you know, so on and so forth and, and testing as well. So there's some time, you know, in terms of before they get to come in and do physicals, which I think that'll be day five. And then after that, they'll start strength and conditioning. So there'll be time. And even if, you know, these guys can't come back within, you know, the early phases of uh, team activities, that's, you know, it's still time before the season. You know, of course, we had the four preseason weeks that we would have originally had, but they'll just spend those times or that time practicing within each other instead of having actual games and actual uh what they call them, I guess, um, where you go and visit another team and you have a few scrimmages or, or a few uh, mixed practices, if you will. So they're going to be avoiding all of that. But uh, so, you know, we still have a four week preseason. That's the bottom line that I'm getting at. Uh, so you, there is time for these players to come back. So look for Josiah Scott to maybe be back soon. And as you said, yeah, Phil, that's the key with this reserve slash COVID list is that the players on it didn't necessarily test positive. You know, that doesn't mean that they tested positive. It could mean they tested positive, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. But they also put players on this list that basically were around people or a person that was or contracted COVID. And basically, you know, that puts you in a phase where you have to quarantine as well. So that would put them on this list as well. So some of these players might fall in that category where they just were around somebody that had COVID and need to quarantine for X amount of time. But the thing is, the Jacksonville Jaguars and the NFL in general will not disclose that information because it's medical information and that's private to the player, which that's understandable as well. Uh, they won't disclose this information. And the only way we would find out exactly what happened is in Josiah Scott's case. If he goes to Twitter and say, hey, X, Y and Z happened, you know, I, I tested positive. I got a false positive test the first time and I'm just waiting to see how my other tests come back. And if they continue to come back negative, I'll be able to come back. That's the only way if the player discloses that information, then we'll know. So I don't know if any of these guys plan on doing that any uh, time soon, if they will at all. But. That's in a nutshell uh, what the Jaguars got going on in terms of their COVID list. Also, um, I forgot actually feel that um, two more players were put on the list yesterday. And as you said, this is Wednesday, the 29th of July. Uh, so that was the 28th on Tuesday. Jawan Taylor, standout right tackle, second round pick from last year. A guy that, um, you know, he showed a lot of promise last year at the end of last year, at least, and struggled with penalties in the beginning. But he's a guy that we have high hopes for, a guy that was looking promising. He was on the list or they put him on the list on Tuesday. And they also put another guy that I would think is going to play right tackle as well. And that's Ryan Pope from San Diego State. Uh, he joined the team last year in November. Um, on the practice squad, and he was a guy that um, I was interested to see if he could maybe make the final roster as a reserve guy, uh, but they were both placed on the list. Again, don't necessarily mean they contracted COVID. They might have been around somebody who did and need to quarantine, but that does put the Jacksonville Jaguars in a situation where, you know, if they were to take the field today, so to speak, uh, they would be down two tackles at the moment, which, you know, is something you kind of alluded to, Phil. It's like this could affect depth in, in many, many ways. Um, But they did claim second year offensive lineman, and he probably they probably claimed him to play tackle. Uh, Garrick McGinn off of waivers, Tallahassee native, 
Uh, went to middle school and high school with Ronnie Harrison. Uh, played college football with Gardner Minshew at East Carolina. Uh, that kind of explains that move because of the two players that went on the reserve slash COVID list. Right. Certainly the NFL is not going to be immune to just having to adapt with the times. And, you know, of course, as you mentioned, Jay, we hope that it doesn't come down to, you know, an entire team missing out on, you know, a, a week or, or two or whatever may happen. We definitely hope we are able to avoid that and, uh, you know, just hope for the best, I guess, is really all we can say. But, you know, that being said, Jay, we're going to move on to some um, some other interesting news coming out of the NFL here this week, and that is this yearly NFL Top 100 list. Now, of course, the story being that there are no Jacksonville Jaguar players on the list. Now, of course, do want to make note, they would have at least one player if Calais Campbell were still on the team. I believe he came in at number 79. Uh, Jay, correct me if I'm wrong, but other than that, there is no representation from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, this, of course, sparked a lot of uh, debate and anger over on the Jaguar subreddit, Jaguar social media in general, of course, can be quite a rambunctious bunch. Uh, Jay, you and I have talked about this throughout the week, you know, as far as who we think should at least have made an appearance. And, you know, we'll get to those names here in just a moment. But what was your reaction when you found out that we didn't have even one player on this list were you surprised were you not surprised where were you uh, where did you land i wasn't exactly surprised but at the same time with no players surfacing on this list from the jacksonville jaguars i was also curious at that point because we found out before the list was even unveiled who made the list over the jacksonville jaguars that didn't so i can basically make a better evaluation if they got you know cheated or whatever the case may be and come to find out they did get cheated um the guys that you know we feel like should have been on the list and some guys that were on the list over them uh so yeah i i wasn't surprised because the Jag jacksonville jaguars getting no love but you know it's also i understand it because it's kind of a flawed process of the voting and if I can recall, I, I believe they still do the voting this way, but I think it's around the time of the Pro Bowl or something like that. Uh, they start sitting players down, right? And they give them a list of 20 blank spots. And, you know, these certain players, uh, a lot of them whom are Pro Bowlers uh, because they've shown the process in the past on NFL Network. Uh, you know, they'll sit them down during the Pro Bowl and they'll get some guys that's maybe outside of the Pro Bowl as well. But they'll have them fill out that list of 20 blank spots uh, basically who they believe should be on the list. And then, of course, based off of that, they tally up all of the votes and then they make the top 100 list. So it could be flawed, albeit, you know, the players do deserve to have a say on their peers and who deserves to be on there. But, you know, what we've seen in the past is maybe they shouldn't have that power alone. Maybe they should share the power with coaches, maybe, maybe some fans. Uh, but then again, uh, the fans haven't done the best job of voting at times either because we've seen that in the Pro Bowl. But maybe it, need to, it needs to be a split of, you know, votes, uh, a mixture of votes, if you will. Uh, because what you could see is, you know, maybe in some of these cases, maybe it's a popularity vote because of, uh, you know, these guys knowing each other or whatever the case may be. So uh, that, that said, man, you can definitely tell. And well, another thing I'll say, too, is like a lot of the players, if you're going to base it off the players, some of these players haven't encountered some of the top 100 players as well based on their schedule and their season. So, of course, they wouldn't put this guy on their list, you know, or if that's not one of their good friends or whatever the case may be, because they never played them or they haven't seen them play in person in years. So. You know, it's just a whole bunch of dynamics that go into that. 
just letting the players solely uh, make the decision. But, you know, we got the results in and no Jaguars were on it. And now we just got to live with that for the year. Yeah, Jay, I kind of fell where you did as well. Not totally surprised, but some surprise did come when I when I looked at some of the players that did make it in. And we'll actually talk about one of the main ones here in just a moment. But some of the standouts, I think, because I think we could both agree that DJ Chark probably belongs on this list, right? And some of the names that I pointed out here that were on the list, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, who Tyler Lockett had a really great season. And of course, DK Metcalf as a rookie did as well. And Larry Fitzgerald. And I think Larry Fitzgerald was on the list, you know, of course, because of his legacy. And, you know, he deserves all the praise that he gets. He's been one of the greats in, in you know, all time greats. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald, 75 catches, 804 yards. Tyler Lockett had more of a season, I think, along the lines of someone who did belong in the top 100. 82 catches, 1,057 yards, eight touchdowns. DK Metcalf, 58 catches, 900 yards, and seven touchdowns. And then we get to DJ Chark. 73 catches, 1,008 yards, eight touchdowns. And of course, he did have that. uh, He did have the Pro Bowl appearance as well. And, you know, we've talked about the phenomenal leap that DJ Chark made from year one to two, which I think warrants him being in the top 100. But for me, that's definitely a guy. I know there's something else you wanted to to tack on to this. But for me, as far as guys that definitely should have been on the list, DJ Chark is, is probably at the top of it for me. Yeah, DJ for the Jags, it was DJ Chark and Josh Allen for me. And then if you're going to base it off of the quarterbacks that made the list, also uh, Gardner Minshew, if Kyler Murray made it and Josh Allen made it, which is the, you know, basically the argument we made on the site, Gardner Minshew should have made it as well. Because Gardner, well, I'll flat out say this Gardner Minshew and Kyler Murray were better than Josh Allen. So he, of the three, he should be the one that's not even on this list. I think he had lower than 60% in completion as well, too, which is not good. I mean, like, you know, the big fuss, and we would know as Jags fans, and this is not us knocking Buffalo Bills fans because we got a rivalry with them, but we know Blake Bortles when we when we see him. And if there is anybody to qualified that's qualified to speak on a quarterback that's put up the numbers that Josh Allen has, it's us. And, you know, that's just a lot of what we see in this guy when we watch him on film. And look, we were in the same boat not too long ago where we were saying, hey, this guy still could be the future despite his accuracy, despite his flaws, despite uh, missing receivers by three yards or whatever the case may be. And then over time, reality hit us in the face and, you know, (laughs) we had to get rid of him and so on and so forth. And that's interesting, too, by the way, because Josh Allen, you you see this money uh, that quarterbacks are making now. And they're coming up on a time where they're going to have to make a decision on if they want to make Josh Allen a $100 million quarterback. And that's a legit question they have to ask themselves. And look, while the fan base, you know, love him and so on and so forth, what the front office does is going to be telling as well and how fluidly the contract talks go will be telling as well. So you can see a a bit of disagreeing between what the fan base feel and what the front office feels. And, you know, we oftentimes when you see that a uh, front office uncertain on a quarterback uh, is for within good reason. So, you know, I'll just say that about him. Yeah. As you said, like DK Metcalf making it over uh, DJ Chark. I feel like that's questionable as well. I think DK had like around the lines of and you said it around the, like 900 yards or something like that. And don't get me wrong, like I'm a big DK Metcalf fan and I'm kind of close to taking the Seattle Seahawks to go to the Super Bowl this year. That's how much I like D 
DK Metcalf. I like Russell Wilson, um, and I, I like the way they play. But to sit here and put him on the list and not have DJ Chark on the list, who went to the super, uh, who went to the Pro Bowl, and as we have said, the Pro Bowl voting process is flawed too. But there are certain cases where you can look at a Pro Bowl vote and say, yeah, that player actually deserved to be in there, and that was the case for DJ Chark, a top four deep threat in football. Eclipse 1,000 yards, uh, like you said, made the significant leap from year one to year two. He looked miles ahead of where he was year two. He just it was times where he kind of looked lost and he couldn't catch anything basically and had fumbling issues and he also struggled with injuries, which you know of course that's not his fault. You know that's just what comes with football. So just look at the leap he made and to be overlooked. That just shows you, you know that. In in some aspects, that is a popularity contest that these players vote in. And and then in the case of Josh Allen, uh, you know, here you have a young man that basically came into this situation and put up record numbers for the Jaguars franchise. You know, it's rare to see a and I, I know Vic Beasley was one that did it and look where he is now, basically. But it's rare to see a guy come out and have a double digit impact in the sack category as a rookie. Broke Yannick and Gakwe's franchise record for the team in terms of sacks as a rookie. And I mean, like you just look at the film with Josh Allen and he looks like the real deal, you know. So uh, if there was a rookie on this thing that should have made it, I don't know if Nick Bosa made it. But if he made it over Josh Allen, that definitely makes a case as well, because uh, he wasn't that far off from Josh Allen in terms of play. I could argue that he was better or Josh Allen was better than him. Much like I can make the case for where Gardner Minshew was not that far off from Kyler Murray in terms of play. And you can argue that he was better than Kyler Murray in certain aspects, too. So, you know, when I guess that's what comes with being in a small market team and, and losing and not having the exposure. And it really, really bit the Jaguars in the behind this time. Yeah, when you, when you look at as far as players that, you know, should definitely be ranked higher, you'll look no further than a guy like Allen Robinson, of course, former Jacksonville Jaguar. And while I've been critical of him in the past, it's really been more so of all in good fun. I mean, look at the season. He had 98 catches, 1,147 yards and seven touchdowns. And let's not forget who his quarterback is. And he is somehow ranked behind guys like DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. Larry Fitzgerald. Now he, uh, Allen Robinson comes in at number 93. Now back in that 2016 season, he was number 32 uh, heading into the 2017 year. So, you know, he's, it's, it's good to see him kind of returning back to form and establishing himself as one of the, as one of the top, uh, top tier wide receivers. But yeah, dude, Josh Allen, absolutely another guy that deserves to be in this list. Our Josh Allen, the good Josh Allen, as Jaguar fans refer him to um, just based off of his performance and what he was able to do. And, you know, you look at guys like Josh Allen as well as well as Gardner Minshew and players that for whatever reason just did not get the respect that they deserved last year. I don't re- remember or recall how many votes that Josh Allen received for Defensive Rookie of the Year, but I know it wasn't very many. And of course, Gardner Minshew wasn't even in consideration, which is absolutely ridiculous. You referred or you alluded to some of the statistics as far as Gardner Minshew have. I'm going to throw out three numbers here. Now, Jay, you know this the answer to this, but I'm going to throw it to you anyway. 21 touchdowns and 20 touchdowns and 20 touchdowns. Which one of the which one of these three quarterbacks between Josh Allen, Gardner Minshew and Kyler Murray threw for 21? Yeah, the 21 was Minshew. Exactly. Gardner Minshew threw 21 touchdowns. Now I'm going to throw out the interceptions. 9, 6 and 12. Which one is Gardner Minshew? Of course, the what was it? The six was Gardner Minshew. Of course, the 12 was Josh Allen and the nine belongs to Kyler Murray. 
the 12 is actually Kyler Murray, believe it or not. 12 is Kyler Murray and the nine is Josh Allen, uh, which I def- I found interesting as well. And then as far as yards, of course, he is second behind Kyler Murray. And Kyler Murray did play two more games than him. But yardage wise, Gardner Minshew had about 2000 yards more than Josh Allen, who played the entire year. Now, yes, the Bills did make the playoffs, but let's not act like the Bills didn't have one of the top tier defenses in the entire league. I'm going to be interested to see what Josh Allen does this year with the addition of Stefan Diggs, because they're kind of the Bills are kind of in a situation like the Jags were in just a couple of years ago, right? They've got this top tier defense and they're going to rely heavily on that. But they also now have a top tier wide receiver in Stefan Diggs, and they're going to kind of go all in on Josh Allen, like you said, because they have this decision to make very, very soon. I can tell you I'd be I'd feel much more confident if Gardner Minshew was my quarterback pairing up with Stefan Diggs than Josh Allen pairing up with Stefan Diggs. Yeah, that's for sure. And I mean, you look at the inaccuracy issues and not that Gardner Minshew's statistically that more accurate than Josh Allen. But let's not forget that Gardner Minshew had a better accuracy and he was a rookie. And let's not forget that. Yeah, you make a good point too. Gardner Minshew utilizes those type of targets. Well, I mean, like. Obviously, a case in point is DJ Chark and the the degree of downfield accuracy we've seen out of Gardner Minshew and the the explosiveness we have seen out of DJ Chark. You look at the PFF numbers, Gardner Minshew was a top four deep thrower in terms of the deep balls. A lot of that was due to DJ Chark. And I think DJ Chark was a uh, top four deep threat. So him and Diggs would coexist so much better than Josh Allen, who we've seen overthrow the fastest of receivers or seen him overthrow receivers in general, should I say. Um, So, yeah, I would definitely feel comfortable, more comfortable with Minshew than him. Um, So in terms of uh, like you were saying, like some of the guys that got cheated as well, that's actually on the list, not necessarily Jaguars. But, yeah, you're right, man. Like I'm looking at the list right now. Allen Robinson is better than number 93 on this list. Allen Robinson needs to be 50 somewhere on this list, especially dealing with Mitch Trubisky as his quarterback. Levante David, come on, man, at 100, you know, like, really, that that was one that I scratched my head for. And I, I think, actually, Joe Schobert actually uh, brought that one up on Twitter as well. Darius Slay, number 92. Darius Slay is more of along the lines of a top 50, top 60 player as well. And then, like we said, with Kyler Murray at 90, you know what I think this was a case of is the players feel obligated to put some rookies in there to kind of say, hey, like these guys are the future of our our game, basically. And that's not to say I'm a, I'm very high on Kyler Murray, by the way. But to say he was the 90th best player in football is like, come on, like, you know, let him get there before we start praising him. And while he is athletic as all get out and he was pretty accurate, 64 percent isn't bad. You know, at the end of the day, like, let's not act like he had this just astronomical season where the Cardinals got a lot of wins and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's like we got to pump the brakes on that. But I do feel like with some of these rookies, they feel obligated to put certain a certain amount of rookies on there, especially some of the ones that play these marquee positions. If you notice, it's like you said, quarterback. It's like a DK Metcalf at receiver. You know, it's, it, I feel like these guys are kind of just trying to put, uh, you know, get these young players' names. The veterans are trying to get the young player names out there kind of early. So, yeah, man, I, I'm looking at this list, and it's just so highly disappointing of, of people that made it in terms of where they were ranked. And, and some people could be better. Earl Thomas at 75, I'm seeing so on and so forth. You know what? I'm just stop right here because I'm getting mad at the more I look at it, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, man, don't. 
don't look too hard at the list because, like you said, you will get upset. Um, I'm sure by the time this episode comes out, we will know who number one is. Jay, I think you just alluded to it. Um, they've already released most of the top 10, so now it's down to the top three, which will be down to Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, and Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald, of course, is the reigning number one. Um, if I had to guess, I think he's going to be number one again, but it may be Lamar Jackson. Who knows? But yeah, yeah, just a lot to be a lot, a lot to talk about when it comes to this list. We really could honestly break it down from 100 all the way down to one, but we just don't have time to do that, guys. So, you know, that's pretty much it for the, the primary topics we wanted to get to here this week. But before we go, I did tease at the beginning of the show, Jay, we are going to let everybody know who our guest is going to be for next week's episode. So I'll let you do the honors. You did pretty much all the heavy lifting in terms of getting this guest. So who are we going to be having on next week on Believe in the Jaguars? Yeah, so we got Appalachian State's finest. I know you all can remember the video that came out during the draft process, but uh, we got Daniel Jeremiah, DJ coming on. Uh, Probably, you know, one of the best draft analysts there is out there, you know, Everybody that knows me know I was a big Mike Mayock fan. And when Mike Mayock left for the league, basically, DJ took his place. Uh, real down-to-earth guy. We actually got to sit in on a media conference call with him during the draft or before the draft, should I say. And he was the guy that, um, you know, kind of spoke on the uh, C.J. Henderson and Jeff Okuda situation that we have alluded to. So it's going to be great to have him on, him and um, my man Bucky Brooks got the Moving the Sticks podcast as well. And I think Daniel Jeremiah, if I can recall, also covers the league in terms of he's a team reporter or a announcer or something along those lines for the Chargers as well. So he he has his hands in uh, the NFL and not just the draft is what I'm trying to say. So he's a guy that spoke highly on the Jazz, spoke highly of Gardner Minshew. Uh, he's a guy that has been a GM candidate. You know, we'll talk about all of that in the next episode and can't wait to have him on. Yeah, Jay, uh, he is the color commentator for the Los Angeles Chargers, which is pretty cool as well. Uh, yeah, you alluded to the opportunity we got to jump on that conference call with journalists from all over the country, which was just honestly kind of like a dream come true. It was, it was really, really cool. So you have that to look forward to, you guys. Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL Network, super excited to have him. And then uh, a lot more, uh, a lot more surprising stuff that we are currently working on for you guys as well. But that being said, Jay, this was, again, another Really, really fun episode. Of course, there's just so much going on right now, despite the lack of sports, but there's still no shortage of things to talk about, especially when it comes to this team. So before we get out of here, what else do we have to look forward to outside of uh, DJ? What's going on over at the Jaguars wire? And, and, you know, what else do you have going on in general? Yeah, just I'll be monitoring, you know, the process of the Jaguars training camp as it'll ramp up, uh, you know, and I think they're going to allow uh, the media there uh, I gotta get into the details with that but um it's gonna be like selective uh me and Phil are, will dig more into that you know to see if we could kind of help with coverage there then again like I said with all the hurdles with COVID you never know but make no mistake about it even if we can't be there to you know get some training camp coverage plenty of things will be put on the Jaguars wires so like I said physicals are coming up in a few days where well, they'll do that we'll continue to monitor those on the COVID reserve list and we'll also continue to monitor things as they go into the strength and conditioning uh conditioning phase uh and you know it'll be more like a you know coming up these next few weeks it'll feel more like OTA so you know we'll have all the coverage on that and more that's right guys and hey if you're still listening 
We really, really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully that means that you're enjoying the show. So if you are doing that, head over again to Apple Podcasts, subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. And of course, over at Believe.com, part of the Believe Podcast Library. So guys, thank you again so much for listening to Believe in the Jaguars. I'm Phil Smith. That's my co-host, James Johnson. We will see you next time. We believe, do you?